Be afraid. Be very afraid of what you're about to hear. Good evening, everyone, and welcome back to Monsters Never Die, Talk Film Society's spooky podcast where Jacob and I discuss classic monsters, human or otherwise, as well as their remakes and ripoffs. I'm one of your co-hosts, Matt Curione, editor-at-large over at Talk Film Society, and with me as always is... That's fly for Jacob DeNoble. Just want to get out there and... So this is, I guess, day five of um, of protests going across the nation. And yes. just want to officially state that Monsters Never Die believes Black Lives Matter. And if you don't, turn off your fucking podcast, dunk your phone in the toilet, dunk your head in the toilet, and flush until you drown. Because that's what you deserve. Honestly, yes. Uh, I wanted to say something about that, too. Uh, Black Lives Matter. And if you don't believe in that, then uh, fuck off. And there's a little thing you can do right now. There's a button on your podcast player of choice, and it says unsubscribe. Uh, do that. We're here to talk about some scary movies, you know, to take your mind off of things. Yeah, uh, I was wondering how we were going to manage that transition. That's a segue. <laughs> that's a segue. Yeah, that's a segue. Yeah, that's, that's called a segue. Um, I'm not very good at those, as you can hear. But yeah, let's talk fly, Jacob. Yeah, so uh, we're starting with the fly, if you haven't guessed. The, the titular fly from 1958. Mm-hmm. Uh, a gorgeous Technicolor-looking uh, old-school horror film uh, directed by Kurt Newman. Uh, it's based on a short story by uh, Greg Langelin. Langelin? Sure. And uh, Kurt Newman actually died before the movie came out, I believe. Which is, oh, wow. I, which is a horrible no shame. Idea. Yeah, he, he died either right before or right after this movie premiered. So he never got to see what this movie uh, did to audiences. And uh, audiences were... Uh, pretty scared at the time and i don't blame well they should be i don't blame them this is a creepy movie uh it's less a horror movie and more of a um like a murder mystery which i really love uh it stars uh david hedison who is my favorite felix Leiter from the james bond movies uh he's one of the few actors other than other than jeffrey wright to play the character twice Mm-hmm. Uh, he played uh, Felix Leiter in Live and Let Die, which was Roger Moore's first uh, outing as James Bond. And he also played him in License to Kill, which was uh, yep. Dalton's second and last uh, James Bond movie. And that uh, one, he gets eaten by a shark. Yeah. That, and, uh, oof, man. And Benicio Del Toro sends his wife on a honeymoon. Uh, yeah, that movie. <laughs> Great movie. That movie rules. And David Hedison is one of the reasons that I do love it. I think he brings, like, a really good... Uh, Part two, License to Kill, and a really good reason for James to, you know, go rogue and basically uh, take down Scarface. Uh, It's fun. Uh, It also stars uh, Patricia Owens, who is a delight in this. She plays the fly's wife, and it plays everyone's favorite, Vincent Price, as his his brother. And they are, uh, I believe they're, they're socialites. Where does this take place? France? Maybe <laughs> this takes place in uh, Quebec, Canada. Oh, okay. So we're in, we're in French Canada. Yes. I, why unclear? <laughs> but uh, everyone cheaper. gets French names. It's cheaper to well, film it in Canada. It's not filmed there. Of course not, because they didn't do that back then. <laughs> it's just I don't know. I, I, the short story takes place there, and it's this, an extremely faithful adaptation of it. So I guess they just kind of felt like they had to. It's good. I don't though. know. It's, it's good. Yeah. Cronenberg um, has some things to say about the Canadianness of it and uh, how it does not capture <laughs> Quebec. But of course not. You know, uh, of actually, course, Cronenberg thinks that. I did misspe- misspeak before. It's not in- filmed in Technicolor. It was filmed in Terror Color. <laughs> as, nice. As the original theatrical poster would have audiences know. Uh, it is a monster created by Adams Gone Wild in Cinemascope and Terror Color by Deluxe. Uh, Yes, this movie's great. Um, I only first saw it for the first time about 10 years ago, I think. And I remember being really impressed and surprised. It's not the kind of movie that you would expect. Um, I mean, a lot of people see this after they've seen Cronenberg's The Fly. And they probably mm-hmm. would expect something similar to that. But no, this is this is a good old-fashioned uh, woman on the verge of a nervous breakdown murder mystery. Yeah, it... It's got a hell of an opening. Yes. It's I I am a firm believer that these kinds of flash forward openings rarely work, but in this one it is a total banger. Yes. Because it 
it opens with her just like mushing her husband into nothingness mm-hmm. and then just being like hey cops yeah no i i smashed my my husband's head and arm yeah into i did nothingness. that look what i did it was me and they're like but wait you seem pretty chill about this he's like yeah no it's it's fine yeah um other cast member i really want to mention is kathleen freeman she plays a um the maid in this uh listeners probably know her as the i believe uh yeah the sister mary from uh the Bruce, blues brothers movies uh she was also in one of the naked guns she was in inner space um did a voice in shrek maybe people know her from that i don't know but she was in batman <laughs> beyond too and uh kathleen freeman fantastic actress and uh really liked seeing her pop up in uh in the fly yeah, I, I mean, she also does, uh, you, you forgot, uh, Microwaving with Marge from Gremlins 2. Yes, she does. Oh, my God. <laughs> Some uh, people use a little. No, <laughs> I use a lot. <laughs> uh, I feel that no matter what happens, what we talk about on this uh, this podcast, we're always going to come back to Dante. Oh, you gotta. Uh, I mean, I, I think Dante invites that. <laughs> he should. He should. He's he's terrific. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's not much you can really say about this movie other than, holy crap, it's way ahead of its time, and it's really good. Yeah, so if you haven't seen it, like I, like we said, it, it opens with the fly already having been killed. Mm-hmm. And the the flashback structure, it is faithful to the original short story. It does also feel a little bit like they only really had an hour of movie that they had like an yes. idea for, and they mm-hmm. needed to stretch that out into stretch 90 it out minutes a bit. somehow. Because once he teleports and gets mashed together with the fly, he's just got a fly giant fly head and hand and it looks cool he a little he looks cool but like he's not really a main character anymore nope there's only so much you can do with giant fly head man yep only so but, much but, hey, they, but they make it work and uh i gotta say uh i do love vincent price here playing against type as like oh. a good guy yeah i uh, i love vincent price in anything same and it's nice is... to see him as like the hero almost yeah and this is early in Price's, like, horror dumb. Yes. Like, this is, I guess, post-House uh, of Wax, but pre-most of the AIP stuff. Mm-hmm. So he's not, he, he's still, like, he's known as a horror guy, but he's not known as, like, the horror guy yet. Yep. That would be a few years after this. Uh, and so, what were you going to say? The teleporter, uh, the, the teleporter is called, in this, the Disintegrator Integrator, which yes. is a bad name. They, I love they that just name. Call it, it's, why not call it the teleporter? No, it's the disintegrator integrator because it was the fifties, and you had to have like science names for these atomic age movies. But I will, I will say, this movie, I I like the science fiction aspect of this movie because more so than even the Cronenberg one, I buy their explanation of teleporters. Like it works. I watch The Fly, and I think. Yeah, why don't we have teleporters yet? This guy figured it out. Yeah. Because they describe it like being like radio signals, how those are sent through the air and mm-hmm. then descrambled into a television. And I feel like we should be able to do that with atoms. But uh yeah, so I love I love the teleporter as a You mean the like disintegrator a, integrator. The, <laughs> yes, I mean the disintegrator integrator. It's a really cool hook for a science fiction story, even before you get into the flyness yeah. of it. And I think that's probably what made the short story so popular. This is, I guess, our first film based on a article from Playboy. Um, yes, I believe it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's less nudity than you would expect, uh, at least compared to some of yeah. the other things that we've done. But, uh, I, but yes, I uh, I do really like this movie. Yeah, I think it's terrific, and uh, it holds the hell up. Yeah. A lot of a lot of the older movies from back then don't, <laughs> and uh, this this does. And I got to say, it does look gorgeous. I love the uh, terror color that they used. To, yeah, uh, shoot this yeah, it's and... it's a fantastic looking movie. The fly himself looks really cool. Oh, that's even awesome. The, uh, even the fly effect at the end looks really cool. It's when creepy. It's the human head on the top. That is a creepy like that. That's uh, what I like to call pure high octane uh, nightmare fuel, Jacob. <laughs> Yes. Uh, so, <laughs> so the end of this film is, is probably the most famous, at least, line from the movie. Is that, So the entire movie, not only does the scientist have a giant fly head and a giant fly hand, but a fly has a tiny human head and a yes. tiny human hand. <laughs> it's great. Is, don't ask why that is, but, you know, that's... And Just it's, because. 
It's great. And the scenes where they're trying to catch that fly, I find extremely compelling. It's stressful. I, like, it, like, it's super stressful. I, you know how the movie ends. You know for a fact that this guy gets his head and arm mushed. Yeah. So they're not going to find the fly. He's not going to be you okay. You still spend every scene where they're trying to find the fly on the edge of your seat. And, like, the moment it gets out of the front door, you're just absolutely crushed. You're like, ah, and, shit. All right. And, like, even when you rewatch the film, I know what's going to happen. Yeah. And I'm still rooting for them to catch and hold on to that fly. Yep. Everything, which, it's like, oh, yeah, you know exactly how this is going to end. But you still yeah. hold out hope. Yeah. And I, and I think that's a sign of, like, that's a sign of a very good movie. Yeah. So at the end of the movie, to help prove that uh, the fly's wife isn't insane and didn't just kill her husband for no reason, Vincent Price calls over the inspector because they have found the fly with the human head trapped in a spider's web. And then as the spider is coming down to eat him, he starts yelling, Help me! Help me! Which sounds goofy as shit when I say it. Yes. But but it's genuinely unnerving. Yes. Yeah. I... It's it's a skin tingling creeper at that moment. Yeah, this movie uh, is, I highly recommend The Fly from 1958. It is terrific. Uh, it looks uh, pretty. It looks very good, uh, especially in the new uh, the the transfer they did for high definition. Looks phenomenal. Like I cannot get over how good this movie looks. There is uh, just one last scene I do want to highlight. Go for and, it. Um, so he he is. Uh, testing the transporter on different things so at first he sends over a bowl and when they check on the bowl made in japan is printed backwards Ah. and that is the first sign that not all is right with the disintegrator integrator then motherfucker just like immediately leaps to cats which i feel like there should be way more steps (laughs) between backwards bowl and cat but he puts his cat dandelo in there and just fucking wrecks him and the cat never appears again. Like the cat's just gone. Uh, like yeah, the cat is disintegrated perfectly. The never... disintegrating one hundred percent a plus. The integrating not so F- much minus. Not a great job. <laughs> not so much and there. They start hearing the cat meowing in like outer space. Yes, it's great. <laughs> My God. Yeah, and, and he's so nonchalant when he tells his wife about it. He's, he's like, like, oh, the cat. Yes. Yeah, he goes, the the phrase he uses is he describes it as being disintegrated into a stream of cat atoms. And then he goes, <laughs> It would be funny if life weren't so sacred. <laughs> like Tuck. I call them catoms. <laughs> That's good. But uh, yeah, no, the fly rules. Yeah. Uh, which of course brings us to 1959's this one was rushed out. Uh The Return <laughs> of the Fly. Uh starring yet again Vincent Price. Yeah, I love him. Uh, this actually concerns, takes place a few years later. It concerns uh, the doctor from the first one, his son, who is yes. now, who, who is, of course, you know, since it's the family business of disintegrating, integrating, uh, he takes over his dad's research to try to uh, perfect it. And this is one that, another one that I really, really like. It's uh, more of like a 50s spy movie, like an industrial espionage type, type <laughs> sure. story. And I think it works for uh, what the hell they're doing here. And it's got some cool mutations. There's a guy that gets, like, rat hands. Hold this. on. It, you get hey, And, Matt, I want to pose this question to you as yes. a either-or situation. Would you rather be a human man with guinea pig hands <laughs> or a guinea pig with human hands? Because that's what happens to these guys. Um, wow. Uh, I'd have to go with the guinea pig being having human hands. Because then at least you have opposable thumbs. Because if you had if you had if you had guinea pig hands, you couldn't do anything. You, there are people without hands. But like you can't. You just, you need opposable thumbs to like function. As I would. Okay. So I don't. I don't want. I don't want little paws. That'd be weird. Mac your own. You do not need a human head, chest, <laughs> legs. <laughs> to be happy, you just need thumbs. <laughs> you just need hands. It's fine. It's like in gangster movies when they say uh, break his legs. You know, I, that's that doesn't do anything. You break the guy's thumbs, so he can't what? do anything. Matt, never get money from a loan shark. I'm worried for you. <laughs> <laughs> never ask me to be a loan shark because I'll just break everyone's thumbs instead of their legs. Uh, 
One of the things I think is funny about this movie is because it is the son grown up, it is essentially like 15 to 20 years after the first one. Vincent Price hasn't aged like, a day. Yeah, it, it sets it in like 1978. Yes. Which the height also of disco. Becomes, becomes greater when we get to the Curse of the Fly, which is like another decade in, or two it in the place future. In like 1990 or 2000. Yeah. Yes. Um, I like that this movie, they add a, uh, they add a human villain in it. Yeah. Which I think is cool, and it makes it for a less tragic film, because there's, like, a guy you can, you know, you root against. get against. You're like, yo, yeah. I hate that guy. That guy sucks, by the way. I like that they didn't go with, oops, another fly got into the teleporter with yes. me. But instead, the bad guy pl- delicately places the fly in there with him after he knocks him out and puts him in there. That's pretty cool. Uh, anyway, Return of the Fly. Uh, Philip Delambre, I think that's how you say it. Uh, yeah, he's continuing the research, and he's getting into trouble yet again uh, because this other guy, the who he thinks is his best friend, is actually mm-hmm. in league with um, Lips Manless. <laughs> sounds like a Dick Tracy villain. It is. That's the character that Paul Sorvino plays in Dick Tracy. Uh, the, actually, well, <laughs> oh, oh, okay. <laughs> he's in league with Lips Manless, who's always eating and uh, really wants that fly tr- technology, the disintegrator integrator. Matt, I do want to just say how how good the Dick Tracy names are that I genuinely thought you were naming the character from The Fly and instantly pegged it as... Ah, we gotta do a Dick Tracy episode somehow. Somehow. <laughs> it's a little off message, but I mean, sure. they're all terrifying creatures in those in that movie, so yeah. it's fine. I, I have a little bit of a hot take. Go for it. So Vincent Price and many critics famously are like, Oh, you shouldn't follow up a color movie with a black and white movie because it makes it seem like it's less of a big deal. I honestly think the black and white works for The Fly a little bit better. I hate it. it. Really? I hate it. It feels more monster movie to me. And, like, when I think of The First Fly, I kind of think of it as if it was in black and white. Uh, They actually mentioned that on the, the commentary for The First Fly. Uh, which the, I watched it with the David Henderson commentary, and he's like, a lot of people mm-hmm. remember this as a black and white movie because a lot of people first saw it on a black and white television. I mean, uh, that's not true for me, but well, yes, but, but like, I believe of, that for many people. A lot of yeah. people, and uh, it's one of the reasons that like I like the Return of the Fly less because they went black and white, and you can see that clearly that was a budget thing. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's this a movie, dis- yeah, it's, it's a little disappointing, especially when the first one looks so good. In color, mm-hmm. and you don't get to see the sequels in that gorgeous uh, terror color uh, <laughs> like you did, like you did the first one. I, I I accept that, but disagree. I like the black and white. So it's the universal fan in me. I, I just I love a, a harsh black and white. But hey, it's a good movie. Yeah, he looks like Mant. Yes, he does. More Dante. Jesus, Jacob, what the hell? <laughs> Please come I, up with a Dante I'll, reference for each movie we discuss. I hope okay, you do. Okay, I'll try. <laughs> okay, good. I, I, love, I love that he kills a guy and then, like, gently closes the casket on him. I think that's a cute yes, moment. Yes, that's, that's fun. Um, um, I want to talk about the movie poster. Yeah, I sure. love I love the tagline. The taglines for this. Mm-hmm. Uh, scream at the human terror created by Adam's Gone Wild. Scream at the ghastly fly monster as he keeps a love tryst. Scream at the desperate search for the fly with the head of a man. <laughs> Which, uh, why not? I think that's exactly yeah. what you did in the first movie, right? Yeah. I, I'll i say the ending is a little bit less interesting, I think. It's I, not as good, yeah. Yeah, I mean, following up like a tragic ending with a happy ending is like fine. It. But like the happy ending here is just kind of rote. They're just like, oh, we got the fly and the, and the fly, man. Let's put them back together. They're okay now. Everything's it great. Been, oh man, what if they had like, what if they put them together and they had mashed up into like a new thing? Ew! Like even more horrible fly and man. And that yeah, was, like, that, that would have been fantastic. The crypt shock ending. Yep, and then the crypt keeper comes on at the end. <laughs> he says, he says, "Fly me to the moon." He says, "That guy's pretty fly for a fly guy." <laughs> <laughs> and goes back into his casket with a bottle of wine, like the crypt keeper would. Uh, yeah, Return of the Fly. It's good sequel. I don't like it as much yeah. as the original. No, the original is like an actually good movie. Return of the Fly is like a good monster movie. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good monster movie. And that brings us to 1965's 
The Curse of the Fly. Hell yeah. Um, yes. Uh, th- a lot of people hate this movie. And, a lot uh, of chumps. And those people are, uh, they're crazy. They're crazy. I, this movie's awesome. It's it's gothic horror. It's got teleportation monsters. I, it's got a weird picture of Dorian Gray vibe going throughout the whole thing. Uh, ah, it's great. I love The Curse of the Fly. Yeah, no, it's so good. You you really nailed it on the head. I think I think horror nerds maybe don't like it as much because horror nerds haven't read like Jane Eyre and Wuthering Heights. Yes, which <laughs> this movie is just like it, this is this is very much like taking inspiration from the same things that like inspired yeah. Crimson Peak. Yes, only they're in the modern day, uh, modern for 1965, and you know and Del Toro technically loves taking this movie. place in 1990, but we're <laughs> forgetting it's fine. that. It's fine. Yeah. And, and then mashed with like atomic age horror, it's so good. Like it's, I love it. Okay, let's just. I love Matt. First tell off, me about first, the opening. Uh, I wow, I don't remember it. Oh my god, I it's so good. So the movie opens with a woman in her underwear in slow motion exploding yes, okay, out yes. of a mental asylum and like running through the woods in this like dreamlike horror state. And it's so good and weird and nothing at all like any of the first movies. And it really sets the tone for this one that this is a very different kind of horror story. It's a very different kind and it's a very interesting place for them to take the Delambre legacy story. (laughs) Yes, yeah. Because they're still the Delambres. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's unclear what generation we're in. Because they change Philippe's, they either change Philippe's name or it's Philippe's kid, or they pretend like the original flat. It's it's a little fuzzy. They mess with, with things. The, uh, yeah, but you know, but you whatever. know what? It's fine. Who, who gives a shit? It's about the fly. Yeah, honestly, who the hell cares? It's a fly movie. Uh, but, uh, this movie... but technically, Matt, it's not a fly movie. No, which is what's kind of great about it. There are no flies in this film. But there's mutated monsters. There are many mutated monsters. And that's really all I want. It's really all I want or need. They're so creepy. I think what makes this movie so cool and such a great hook is that it's largely the story of a woman who has escaped from a mental asylum. She falls in love with one of the Del Hombres. Yes. Who, Who's like a second they, cousin or whatever. Yeah, they instantly get married. And he takes her back to this giant weird mansion that he lives in with his father and they're working on teleportation experiments along with, is that a brother in England? I believe so, yes. Yeah, and they're teleporting back and forth between Quebec and England. Yes. And <laughs> and it suddenly becomes a gaslight film where she can't mm-hmm. trust what anybody is telling her because they're all lying to her about doing these horrible teleport experiments because in the past... They have fucked up severely and created horrible mutants, including the guy's ex-wife. Yes. Or not even ex-wife. The guy's current wife, who is now kept in, like, a crypt outside of the house. Yeah, she's kept in, like, a jail cell. It's a really creepy scene where we first are introduced to the three rooms of the three, like, mutants who are out there. At least they all have their own cells, right? (laughs) Yeah, sure. And how nice of them to keep them separate. (laughs) And they're not even necessarily, like, mixed with anything. Like, it's not, you know, half man, half fly. It's more just like, oh, we've, we ain't doing this right. We it's, are not integrating right. Everybody's no, integrating like, all um, messed up. It's kind of like uh, if you've seen, have you seen the first Star Trek movie? Uh, I have not. Okay, there's a horrifying scene in that where the teleporter glitches halfway through someone get, going through it. <laughs> not really and they come through like this weird like blob human shaped monstrosity yeah and it's the scariest fucking thing i've seen in a long time i just watched that movie last month and yeah that's that's what these monsters remind me of like they're just like these horribly misshapen uh, especially the big dude just like the the, the man yeah. with no face Ugh. Yeah, and then, and so what? What eventually happens to them is even more horrific, because they 
to like hide their bodies, they teleport them together to England and they create this just horrible misshapen mm-hmm. lumpy mass of flesh. Yeah, that like then in gets Star Trek. chopped to pieces with an axe. Yeah. Which is extremely gruesome for 1965. Yes, very. Oof. <laughs> this one at least has a, a good ending again. It's got a nice tragic ending. Um, yes. I, so they're, they're about to send Patricia through the teleportation chamber. And uh, they're like, and her uh, her husband is like, ah, I've seen this go bad a lot of times. <laughs> and so his dad volunteers to go first. And he sends himself over the airwaves, not knowing that on the other side, his brother, who is so distraught over having to kill the lumpy <laughs> flesh beast and also who has been kind of against this whole teleportation thing from to begin with has destroyed the reintegrator Ruh-roh. and so now martin is off in the uh off in the atoms along with dandelo it's a good movie uh yeah i like movie. it more than return of the fly oh easily yeah there's my hot take for uh, all you monster movie nerds <laughs> yeah myself included uh yeah uh, curse of the fly it's quite good. Yeah. And you know what's also quite good? What? The Fly. Yes! This brings us to The Fly. Uh, 1986, David Cronenberg. Uh, my favorite Cronenberg, actually. Uh, I adore this movie. It is, it is gross. It is beautiful. It is tragic. Uh, it features two knockout performances... It's got some of the best practical makeup effects I've seen in a movie. It's got a gut punch of an ending. Everything about this movie. God, that ending is so good. It's produced by Mel Brooks. It's everything I love rolled into one thing. Uh, Yeah, yeah, The Fly, it's fantastic. It rightly stands uh, in what I consider the holy trinity of 80s horror remakes along with uh, The Blob and The Thing. Mm-hmm. This movie is one of the greats, one of the great films, regardless of whatever genre you want to yeah. look at. Like, it's goddamn great. Uh, Jacob, what are your thoughts on The Fly? Uh, so, The Fly, I think, is Cronenberg's pop masterpiece. And, mm-hmm. like, Agreed. it's not my favorite Cronenberg. I prefer Videodrome a little bit. I go but... back and forth between the two, but for the past but, few I mean, years, it has been The Fly. For working for a mass audience and making a movie that people would actually watch and enjoy, which is not necessarily Videodrome. No. I, the Fly takes everything that is Cronenberg and it doesn't sand any of it down, mm-hmm. but it packages it in a really compelling, heartbreaking story. In a tight I 90 love, minutes. It's So I, I, I noticed that during this watch that this movie has a almost perfect 3x structure in those 90 minutes it's great this movie wastes nothing it wastes no time like within within five minutes they're in his lab but matt at minute minute 30 is almost exactly is the moment where jeff goldblum goes through the teleporter for the first time Mm -hmm. and then no time at minute minute 60 exactly is the first piece of body horror he has. Mm-hmm. Like, the first time that he notices something is wrong with his... I think it's when his fingernail falls off. Ugh. And just the fact that they managed to have, you know, these major story-turn act breaks built in at perfect one-third chunks yeah. of the film is just, oh, it's exquisitely put together. I love that the romance is so good it's and good. believable. It's, it's believable, you, yeah. You root for them so hard, even though, again, you know where it's going. You know bad things are going to happen, but there'll be cheeseburgers along the way. <laughs> I, this is uh, one of the few movies where you know, a real-life couple plays a romantic mm-hmm. like infatuation, and it actually works. I I really buy Goldblum and Davis falling in love. Oh, they're I terrific. Really they're really good in this. Yeah, they, like, I buy their flirtation. I buy the escalation. I buy every moment in that journey. I think this is one of her best performances. I think it is Jeff Goldblum's best performance. Oh, easily. Uh, I don't think he's ever been this damn good. And uh, bravo for casting him (laughs) as uh, Seth Brundle. Love him. Love him in this. I love that this movie is... It feels grand in scope, but it's really small if you think about it. There's essentially three main characters. Yeah, it's a very small cast. 
there are seven actors who speak in the film. Yeah. There's like essentially two sets. It's it's a very intimate film, but it feels so grand because of the emotions that you go through during it. Yeah. It's it's one of the great tragic romances. I really love this movie. Uh and I love its tagline, which, you know, hey, I started the episode with be afraid, be very afraid. That is that that gets you. That's like, oh, yes, I okay, I'll see this movie. That's a great tagline. And blew me away when they said it in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> now, Matt, do you know who decided on that as the tagline? No. During the first screening of the film, Mel Brooks took note of that line. Bless him. And when they were trying to think of how to advertise it, he goes, guys, you have it already. <laughs> Quoted directly from the movie. Be afraid, be very afraid. And after this movie, that became like a... Like, that's a thing I knew before I had seen this movie. It's a thing that kind of got repeated and yeah. quoted because this movie, I find surprising, was a gigantic hit. Yeah, this movie made a ton of money. Like, it was a, I, it was a blockbuster. <laughs> it deserves it, but... But you're I, surprised, right? I just, I have a hard time picturing just general audiences going, seeing, and like... Being well, really into this when his like ear falls off. Well, you got to understand, this was the '80s. This was the horror boom. A lot of horror movies made money, but they didn't make a lot of money. But if you put out a great horror movie, audiences yeah. went in droves, and they went again and again and again, no matter how many times they vomited in the aisles. <laughs> I mean, I, oh, speaking of vomit, can we just talk about how cool the idea of acid the fly vomit? Enzyme? Yeah, it's so good. I love it. I love that. Uh, real quick, can we talk about the arm wrestling scene? Yes, we can. Which is fantastic. I love the I love the the imagery of this like little wormy guy. This this clearly emaciated, clearly ill uh, nerd going into a, a biker bar and just challenging some big galoot to to an arm wrestling match, and then making like then snapping his arm in two. It's fantastic. And- and now, do you know that that big galoot is a like majorly famous, huge Canadian heavyweight boxing champion? Really? Shit! All right, yes. I did not know this. Yeah, he is um, inducted into the Ontario Sports Hall of Fame. Wow. He, um, yeah, he's uh, he's extremely. And Jeff Goldblum player. broke him in two. <laughs> and that again was another. Um, that was a Mel Brooks addition to the script. He. He, he just walked in and he, he pitched this idea in what I can only imagine is a very Mel Brooksian way. Like, hey, the flat he should he should go in and find like a schmuck and he should like he should just break his arm when they're arm wrestling, <laughs> like this big guy. But um, okay, yeah, we need to digress real quick. Talk about Mel Brooks because I don't think we're going to get to talk about him a lot uh, on this podcast. Um, I love. Mel- I can think of one film. At- uh, Matt, I can think of two films we could do of his on oh? this podcast. Yeah, actually, you're right. We Young could. Frankenstein, Dracula, Dead and Loving It, baby. This is true. This is true. And uh, maybe if we ever do Elephant Man for some reason. Um, <laughs> I love Mel Brooks. Uh, I grew up on his movies. He made my favorite Star Wars movie. Um, <laughs> I love his, his, his version of Robin Hood is the best version of Robin Hood if you're not counting Disney's animated version. It's at least better than the Kevin Costner one. Uh, yeah, sure. I haven't seen that in years, so I can't comment. But he's made a ton of great movies. I He made one of the best westerns ever. The guy's great. He's a legend. We need to protect him at all costs. Shares a birthday with me. That's fantastic. I'm actually <laughs> jealous because you share your birthday with cool people. And I share my birthday with... A possible presidential assassin. So that's cool. <laughs> it's it's just really him. He's the only one. But uh, he was a patsy. I, I feel proud. He was a patsy, Jacob. Okay, um, Matt's. Uh, Matt's <laughs> is we're we're Matt's, we're, Matt's we're diverging been, a little bit. Matt's but, been uh, watching a lot of Oliver Stone. He was a patsy. real life monster. He, he was a patsy, and I just don't want my birthday to be ruined. Basically, wait. We, would your birthday be ruined if he didn't kill JFK? Where are you going with this? I don't know. Maybe if it just if it wasn't just him, then my birthday would be fine. You know? Yeah. But like, I don't know. Uh, it's not cool. <laughs> it's 
not a fun thing. Anyway, we diverted way too much. Uh, yeah, the, um, the flies fantastic. Talk- <laughs> yeah, and um, so I just want to talk a little bit about the uh, the kind of development of the fly. Please um, do, because yeah. Cronenberg was not originally attached because he was busy trying to make Total Recall with mm-hmm. um, William Hurt, which Oof, that's much different than what we got. I I I love that so much because. It's a total recall situation for me because if I lived in the universe where David Cronenberg made Total Recall with William Hurt and somebody said, hey, did you know that there's an alternate universe where (laughs) Paul Verhoeven made Total Recall with Arnold Schwarzenegger? I would be as jealous as I am of the Cronenberg world as as I am of this world. So it's it's a nice like, you know, blue sky on Mars moment for me. Be weird. Emotionally. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so the original script was uh, by Charles Edward Pogue, who um, wrote Dragonheart. Oof. I guess. (laughs) He he claims that 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 did not live up to his screenplay. He was not very happy. We can't all be winners, Jacob. Yeah. He he also wrote Psycho 3, which is pretty good. Um, Big fan, actually. Big, he big, wrote big, Cole the Conqueror, which big, he also says did not live up to his. I'm a big ideas. fan of all the Psycho sequels, but go on. <laughs> yeah, um, and so he took a first crack at the script, and it was extremely different. It was a it was a married couple. It was you know the tragic ending was less tragic because the fly man destroys the teleporter and himself himself. Okay. Like it, he and they he, really he doesn't meld into the teleporter. No, so Ugh. the only real thing from that movie that ended up in the actual movie is that he would take he teleports and he slowly evolves into the fly and it's this long process of the body breaking down and Cronenberg read this and there's an interview where he talks about how this was like the first time he had ever read somebody else's work that mm-hmm. felt like it was like about the same things that he was trying to deal with in his films. Yeah. And so Cronenberg did a, a page one rewrite. And when they went to arbitration for to see who would get credit in one of the only times many people can say that this has happened, Cronenberg wrote a letter to the Writers Guild saying, I would not have written the movie I did if this movie didn't exist, if this script didn't exist yeah. before. Yeah, yeah. I, th- you know, he deserves story credit just as much as he deserves screenplay credit just as much as I do. And yeah. given how different they were, it was very unlikely that that was necessarily going to shake out that way. And that turns out to be a pretty healthy, like sharing of profits and that kind of thing. And it was just a real, like, and that almost never happens. Menchie. Yeah. It's a, it's a minchy move for uh, David Cronenberg to make to, to kind of have that lack of ego to say, you know, Hey, look, that I wouldn't have done this if it wasn't for this guy's work. So let's let's make sure he gets the credit and the money that yeah, goes so, along uh, with that. Cronenberg got the gig, you know, basically because you know Brooks was a fan. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yep. Because yeah, he makes comedies, but Brooks likes some twisted shit. Uh, he loves Eraserhead, which is, it still blows my <laughs> mind. That that's yep. that's he's like, yes, I want him to make my Elephant Man movie. Um, and you know, he heard about this David Cronenberg guy. He had seen you know Videodrome scanners, and he and I in one of the interviews on the disc, he's like, and plus he's Canadian. We can get him cheap. <laughs> <laughs> I and I, I think one of the one of the real successes of this movie, especially compared to even the other Fly movies, is just how much thematically is going on with how they're presenting the fly and you know as my body starts to fall apart like pretty much as soon as i turned 30 i'm starting (laughs) to you know relate to the fly a little bit more now that i can no longer even get close to touching my toes and i I can't sleep because my back hurts too much and things are falling out of you know whack and i really relate to that there's a little (laughs) bit of a uh a manic, almost a like cocaine high to the early stages of the fly, where he is, you know, exciting. There's aspects of, you know, sexualized disease. There's aspects of like AIDS. There's aspects of just yeah, the, aging and cancer. The and, terminal illness AIDS allegory is uh, strong with this movie. Yeah, and it was released at the height of the AIDS crisis, and, and they, I, I've read that it wasn't intentional to be mm-hmm. an AIDS allegory, but. Sometimes the best allegories are unintentional, 
And yeah, it's wow. it's on the screen. Wow, wow. Even just watching someone you love die and there's nothing that you can mm-hmm. do to help them. Yeah. Ugh. Except teleport them into <laughs> a machine that makes them half machine, half fly, half man. Ugh, that ending. Jesus. Okay. This movie's great. It's yeah. masterpiece. Matt, I, I have a question for you, though. Please do. I, I have heard conflicting opinions on this character... How do you feel about Stathis Borens? That's the... That's the third guy John gets. He's kind of a dick. Yeah. But he's also kind of right to, like, warn her away. <laughs> you, well, know what, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, he's, I, I, was, I was listening to an interview with him where he, he said that, kind of, in the script, it was a lot more love triangle Yeah. But when they cast Gina and Jeff... Those two really saw it as a love story between mm-hmm. them, and so he like ended up having to play his role a little more villainously because he's a major asshole for the first like third. Oh, like yeah. he's just stalking Gina Davis and like being a dick about it. But I like that he's wrapped into everything. I think he's he's kind of an interesting presence. I like he's his, good. Uh, yeah, he's good in the movie. He's very good. He's in the good movie. as your only other character other than the fly and Gina Davis. Yes, and guy who gets his arm broken basically. Yeah. Uh, and Tawny, can't forget Tawny. Oh yeah, Tawny, the 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 one who you know he picks up at the bar, and he the one that he wins <laughs> at the bar. I, I, I'm looking at it now. Her Wikipedia dis- description is: Joy Bichelle is an actress who has appeared in a handful of movies and TV shows. <laughs> That's great. That's <laughs> okay. What a career to have. <laughs> Good for you. She was in this. Oh, she's and... in Terror Train. Yes, she is. And look who's All talking. Right. All right. Okay, that's that's fine too. Yeah, there you go. Good for her. <laughs> Good for Tawny. Uh, okay, this brings us to... Oh, okay. Sure. Be afraid. Be very afraid. Again. Uh, the Fly 2. From 1989. Like father like son. What a horrible fucking tagline. Uh, <laughs> and pretty much for Crit- 90% of it, what a horrible fucking movie. Um, Chris Wallace also hated that tagline. Just to- It's bad. It's really bad. Yeah. Um, okay, yeah, he said the... he showed up into the marketing office and he said, I don't care what you guys do, just don't make the tagline like father like son. He goes, and then I turned around and saw the fucking poster. <laughs> um, I don't like it. No, it's bad. It's it's, bad um, the last 20 minutes are amazing. A lot, yeah, of, lot, of, lot of cool effects in the last 20 minutes. There, a guy like gets his face melted off and he screams horribly uh there's an awesome head crush one of the best all-time head crushes which uh originally they wanted him to edit it down to get an r rating and uh and he didn't yep he just resubmitted the same footage and they're like yeah that's fine which you know (laughs) because the rating board are a bunch of morons uh the last 20 minutes are great the rest is either super boring or just I hate this. Yeah, there's there's no humanity to the first no major portion of this movie. Like you don't get any of the boring like, warmth or humanity of or like just normalcy no. that you get with Gina Davis and Jeff Goldblum. No. So if you haven't seen The Fly Two, which you probably haven't, and that's probably for the best. Yeah, that's a good. It thing. takes it, it opens with. Gina Davis's character, not Gina Davis, because she didn't want to come back. No, and... <laughs> no one did, except for that one guy. <laughs> yeah, that, you know, it's, it's nice to see Stathis Borens, I guess. Yeah, sure. And uh, she is giving birth because, for some goddamn reason, she didn't have that abortion she really wanted. Yeah, which she should have done. Because I, what the hell, lady? <laughs> like you, the movie starts, and you're instantly just like, "Wait a sec! This lady like wanted an abortion from day one. We were shown that. What? What possibly could have possessed her after the events of the fly to be like, you know what? I'm gonna try this one. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna see what <laughs> like, happens. Like, was it blowing Jeff Goldblum's head off with a shotgun? Was it seeing Jeff Goldblum's face break off and him turn into an even Ugh. larger fly? Like. <laughs> There's nothing that happened in the fly where she'd be like, "Oh, you know what? I should keep his memory alive by having this yes, baby." Yes. No. No. no, no you don't do that. Get out of here, the fly too. This is a bad opening for your film. I should give birth and to then, Eric Stoltz for some reason. <laughs> yeah, and so she, so the the baby comes out in a, a larval sack, which I, I do kind of like. That was and cool. The effects in this see, movie are cool. Yeah, 
which, you know, it's directed by Chris Wallace, who did the effects for the first one and won an Oscar for the first one. And he also did the effects for Gremlins. And yeah, no, I mean, that part does is very good because that's kind of, you know, his bread and butter. So he knows how to shoot that. Yeah. He knows how to guide that. He knows how to make, make it look good. Effects look good. What he doesn't know is how to necessarily tell a story. No, no, but, no, he doesn't. But if, I, I don't want to blame him entirely. Um, the screenplay process for this one was extremely troubled. Um, I'll get to that in a second. We should we should at least give people a loose summary of what the fly two is. Uh, so yeah, so this baby, oh God, fine. So this baby <laughs> is born in a corporate lab that I guess is supposed to be the lab that funded Jeff Goldblum in the first yes movie Bartok that, Industries. Yes, that didn't know what he was working on. How they got to this point, I don't know. Yeah, Who how, knows? How they got Gina Davis to give birth in their lab and how they got to... Oh, they kidnapped keep... her. Please. Let's let's not kid ourselves. She was kidnapped. Did... All right, sure. Stathis Borns is there watching the birth, too, which is also weird. Yeah, but... like they became an item after she killed Jeff Goldblum. Spoiler for the fly. Uh... <laughs> I Oh, man, I... I hate so there were deleted endings to the fly where they got together and I hate that so much. Oh like, no, thank you. Yeah, uh, have you seen those butterfly baby endings to the fly? No, I'm good. Oof, there. She has a dream and you go into her womb and uh, there's like a a cocoon hanging nope. off of her like uterus and then it hatches into a baby with butterfly wings and it flies off and that was supposed that was going to be the ending nope of the film nope Cronenberg hated it but uh that's well he should um yeah yeah no but i'm good (laughs) keep getting distracted because i don't want to talk about this boring movie the fly baby grows real fast by the time he is five he is eric stoltz an adult (laughs) man sure (laughs) and he is also super smart I guess. I don't know why that's a fly thing. But, and then, so he's now living in the lab. He doesn't get to see the outside world. But he has a cool apartment. Yeah, they eventually give him a cool apartment that it turns out is bugged. Pun intended, I guess. (laughs) Ha (laughs) ha 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 ha. He falls in love with Daphne Zuniga. Princess Vespa. So much like Gina Davis. And, like, if you squint, Eric Stoltz kind of looks like Jeff Goldblum, so it looks like they're just using, like, the Costco versions of the original cast. Yes, they are. Like, this I movie, like her, though. She's actually good in this. Yes, she is very good. I, I honestly, I kind of like Eric Stoltz, too. He's doing kind of a waifish, like, I don't know nothing about nothing act. Yeah, just, I don't you know, know anything. But, <laughs> but I don't know. He's, he's cute in it. <laughs> but... Yeah, so, and then he turns into a fly, and then he kills everybody, and we're rooting for him. Like, there's no tragedy to the end, because now we're on the side of the fly. Yeah. And there's some mean-spirited stuff with animals in the middle that... No thanks, I'm good. Matt take. Matt doesn't want to take. Um, Yeah, they really, they brutalized Golden Retriever, and I think that's really mean-spirited, and there was no need for it. I don't give a fuck that it's a uh, turning point for the character's arc, especially when the character's arc is so goddamn boring. Um, Nope. I'm good. This uh, is a little bit Matt yelling at things that yep. I was texting him. Because I kind of like the dog uh, stuff. But it, the, I understand why you wouldn't. It came in like 20 minutes into the movie. And at that point, I turned on this movie and fucking hated it. <laughs> so, uh, good thing those last 20 minutes are good. And uh, the fly monster makes friends with a dog in the last yeah, he, 20 the, minutes. Yeah, the fly monster pets a dog and that rules. He pets like the cutest Rottweiler I've ever seen. <laughs> And uh, that that dog is so cute. I also felt bad for that dog, like on set, because uh, you know <laughs> getting cause, pet by a giant puppet. Because you know that 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 dog did not care for this giant fly creature. Like, yeah, my dog freaks out sometimes when I wear a hat. I couldn't imagine. <laughs> or like on Halloween when I'm wearing a mask. Like dogs don't like that. They like to be able to yeah. see who they're dealing with. And uh, I couldn't imagine this. I hope it was just like one of those puppet arms that they used to like. Ooh, that's a good point. Yeah. Oh, fingers crossed. Uh, because that's what they did. should know because the dog in Gremlins never understood that any of the Gremlins were puppets. Yeah. <laughs> and if you watch Gremlins, just next time you watch Gremlins, just watch the dog. The whole movie, he is the best actor because he fully believes that all of the Mogwai and Gremlins are real. Yes, awesome. he's freaking out the whole time. It's it's great. But uh, I love that Rottweiler. I would watch a whole movie of that Rottweiler just being a good little boy hanging out with the yeah. fly monster, like. 
that'd be fun. That would be a fun yeah. movie. Uh, but no, we got this turd sandwich instead. And like, I think we made this movie sound kind of cool, but like, it's not. I don't know, maybe not. Yeah, it's and it's it's longer than the flight. It's like an hour and fifty minutes, and nothing happens for at least an hour and ten. Like, Eric Stoltz doesn't start like mutating start until flying. like at least an hour and ten minutes into the movie. And then, like, instantly cocoons, and then, like, for the last 15, yeah, that cocoon is comes a out of nowhere. cool fly monster. Yeah, comes he's out of just, nowhere. like, he's um, laying on bed, and his face has been kind of, like, acne-scarred, and then you're like, oh, wait, are you in a cocoon? And then he cocoons <laughs> up entirely, and then he hatches into a cool six-legged fly monster. I will say, this is the return of Gary Chalk. Uh, he plays the head of security for uh, the, uh, the lab. Uh, we saw him in the Leprechaun Origins. A few Did months we? ago, he was like, <laughs> he was the asshole that led the kids to, um, led the kids to the Chupacabra land. Okay. And that. So, yeah. uh, hey, if he gets on this podcast one more time, we're going to send him a gift certificate. Uh, Matt, he I, win he, a prize. he easily could. I, I am looking at his, um, at his filmography right now. Oh, I know he could. And, Okay, <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll save that for another day, I guess. If we ever do some slashes, when we cover, might just pop up. When we cover Sonic the Hedgehog. <sighs> I wish. <laughs> he's the Navy Chief of Staff. Yes, he is. Also, he's the, the <laughs> asshole dad from Freddy vs. Jason, so that's a whole other thing. <laughs> His uh, character name in this is Scorby, which I think is very funny. <laughs> I, I'm just a Scorby dork. <laughs> Scorby Dorb. Uh, <laughs> this movie uh, blows and sucks at the same time. It's uh, a miracle, isn't it? Yeah. So it, apparently, to, to get back to the, the, the troubled production, I guess they this was the first script idea that Mick Garris kind of threw out there. This was his first pass. And instantly, even he you recognized, can tell. <laughs> this is not really a good idea. I, I don't really like this. Let's, let's see where else we can go with it. And they started evolving... Different ideas, more creative ideas, and apparently the studio had a new chief, and they were insistent that the Fly Two was going to be a just like rock'em sock'em horror movie for teens. Please don't do anything else with it. <laughs> and that the, they apparently were very fur like don't get smart with it, kids. <laughs> every cast member that came in for the the lead role that the that um. Chris Wallace liked. They kept turning down, and eventually he's like, "Guys, what do you want?" And they're like, <laughs> "We have a look we're going for." And he's like, "Look, just tell me who you want, and I'll fucking make it. I'll make it work." And they're like, "We want Eric Stoltz." And he's like, "Okay, fine, sure, whatever." Yeah, fine, and I'll do it. So yeah, so uh, Mick Mick Garris wrote the first draft. It didn't go great. Then they brought in Ken and Jim Wheats. Okay, you might yeah, know from yeah. Pitch Black and Ewok Caravan of Courage. Yes. <laughs> yes. And, they uh, they filled it out a little more, um, and then finally Frank Darabont was brought in to do like a last minute save because Chris Wallace still kind of hated the script at that point, <laughs> and was just like Darabont, please do literally anything you can do to anything make this help better. And so Darabont went in and he essentially he wrote the last twenty minutes of the Fly Rampage. He added the dog, so I hate him now. Send your, you can send your letters to Frank Darabont. And uh, he, he just kind of tried to juice I mean, up I stuff. Mean, with... That's I that makes sense coming from Darabont because you know he did make the mist, which yeah. is the bleakest <laughs> movie I've ever seen. Um, and like, I feel like in a good movie you wouldn't hate the dog as much, right? Like, no, I would. Okay. <laughs> you, you 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 okay? Here's my thing: you can kill a dog in a movie. That's great, um, as long as it happens off screen, mm. or just move the camera slightly to the right like John Carpenter did in Halloween or how I mean the dog or the how dog is painlessly chloroformed or what Jim Cameron did in Terminator 2 when they stabbed the dog you you pan away you, you don't look at it uh yeah okay I I would have been fine if they like I, I just no I don't I wouldn't have been fine I don't like yeah. the fact that like the dog gets mutilated in the in the thing and then comes back later just to be chloroformed. That's horrible. Couldn't they have used like a goat? Or like, or some, <laughs> or like, or maybe an animal you actually would find in a lab? 
Like, fucking, <laughs> it is weird that like, they are just testing on golden retrievers. Use a fucking chimp or something, like especially because like the thing can't even do a, a cactus right. Like a cactus goes through, it comes out all fucked up. But it's yeah, like, like what are you, you guys doing? Get, like at least the first movie started with like guinea pigs and yeah, a cat, I guess. But ah, <laughs> it's it's a it's a wild choice, Matt. Here's here's a thing that I I keep thinking about these fly movies. So the transporter tech, yes, that would that would change our world. Yes, it would. Now the, the mutants, not so much. I think if you have a, a transporter that can only transport non-living objects, yes, I think that is still a great invention. Yes, it's a fantastic invention. Like, just slap a warning on it not to get in there with your stuff, <laughs> and like you've just changed shipping forever. Yes, just teleport it to people's fucking houses. It would be amazing. <laughs> I, all right, I was thinking like freight shipping, but sure, yeah, yeah, yeah I mean, you, you could do that too. <laughs> you could do that too. The, yeah, the Amazon teleport where like I kind of want to order this movie, and then it just pops up. It's like boop, there it is. It's- it's just weird to me. They keep acting like this thing is like worthless if it can't teleport humans, and it's like, yeah, this like, has so many other applications. Like, not every machine has to work. Like, we have microwaves in the house, and if we we went in there, we would die. Yeah, it would be horrible. Oh god, I don't want to be in a microwave. That would just scare the hell out of me. Uh, but no, this is it's a good invention. It's just that why do you need to have people going through it? You work on okay for the you can teleport anything. Use tube technology for people transport. That's fun. <laughs> Who yeah. wouldn't want tubes? I mean, honestly, it feels like a pretty easy... Like, just just make sure the thing knows if there's two things in there. Yeah, like a warning light goes off or something. I don't know. <laughs> hey, 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 buddy. <laughs> little, 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 little guy got in there with you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> okay, thanks. Thanks. Okay, good. <laughs> All uh, right, Matt. Yes? Can I, can I pitch you my fly, too? Please do. I've been waiting okay, all week so, to hear this. So as soon as I watched The Fly, I, I, you know, I was thinking, The Fly is a really hard movie to follow up. Very. Because it I is. I like, probably ha- shouldn't have tried. How, how would you make a sequel to The Fly? And, and this was the, the, the question that was roaming in my head over and over as I was trying to sleep that night. You know, Fly 2 sucked ass. How would I make a sequel to The Fly? And so now, G- Gina Davis was apparently willing to come back. But she didn't want to do a birth scene. She found the birth scene from the original extremely traumatic to do, which is understandable. I believe and it. She's, and the only and but by this point, they kind of already had the scripts that they were looking at, and they all involved the son of the fly, and all would kind of require that of her. So she was like, "You know what? I'm good." <laughs> which so here is, here, here is my here is my pitch for the fly too, involving starring Gina Davis. Okay. Not involving a birth scene because you don't fucking need one. No, because you don't. she should have had that abortion. Yes. Okay, so and Gina Davis, she is like she is the star of that like Jeff Goldblum has a very showy role, but Gina Davis is the anchor of that movie. Like Yeah, she is. She is the character you feel the most for, you follow the most like she is the last one on stage at the end of the night <laughs> with her shotgun in her hand and her boyfriend's brains all over the floor and her other boyfriend's hand melted off by vomit. And foot. And his foot. And his foot. But, alright. So, Matt, I want I want you to sit down in the theater of the mind. I am. I want the uh, the lights to go down. I want Maria Menounos to welcome you to Nuvi. <laughs> <laughs> I guess this wouldn't be true if this was 1989 still, but whatever. Alright. So we're three years later. Gina Davis is still a scientific journalist working, you know, she's doing freelance. She's working for different scientific journals. She's constantly kind of researching the front edge of science. In her investigation of a story, she discovers that while she assumed that the telepods were destroyed, it turns out that the company that Goldblum mentions funding his experiments without knowing what they're working, what he was working on, took control of the telepods after his death. She starts to dig deeper, and she discovers the disappearance of a scientist that she knew from her reporting that it seems like the company is lying about his disappearance. She can't. She's trying to get to the bottom of this. Goes to the police, meets a sympathetic, hunky officer, but the higher-ups tell her she doesn't have enough evidence, can't get a warrant, out of their hands. Gina decides to investigate on her own and breaks into the company's labs. 
There, she discovers that not only do they have new telepods up and running, they've abandoned trying to use them for teleportation since the risk of contamination is too great. Instead, they're dedicated to biological splicing and experimentation. Oh, shit. The place is filled with mashed-up combinations of every different kind of animal imaginable, horrible monsters locked away in cages. She takes photos, gets recordings of what's going on, but is caught by the evil head of the lab, who decides to release two of the hybrid monsters to kill her, <laughs> she can't get away with this information. Yes, please. She narrowly escapes and makes it out of the lab. With the proof, she returns to the police. This time she is assigned a special squad unit led by this hunky officer because now she has the proof. And they return to the lab. After they get in, they are besieged by a few more monsters. But the um, there's a moment where the hunky officer does something that doesn't seem like it should be humanly possible. It turns out that this police squad has been secretly moonlighting as mercenaries for this company. And now they are also all horrible, freak, biological monsters. They lock down the lab. Bad things happen. All the monsters get loose. It's Gina Davis locked in a laboratory with... Dog, rhinoceros, crocodile. It's like Cabin in the Woods. Snake tongues. For the last, like, 45 minutes, it's just a massive assault as she's trying to get her way out of there. Oh, my God. Now that it's locked down, and there are hyper-intelligent evil cops on her trail. So that's my that's my, uh, that's my my pitch for The Fly 2, which is kind of my alien's take on The Fly. I greenlight this immediately, please. Thank you. It, it would certainly be a lot better sound, than Eric Stoltz. Oh, my God. Yeah, that actually sounds entertaining and fun. Oh, yes. I would like to watch that, please. Make that. Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll call Gina on my, my private phone. <laughs> See what she wants to do. Maybe maybe yeah. she'll like that idea. Who knows? She might, she might do it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, nowadays, I feel like she'd be down. She'd be like, yeah, why Love not? Gina. She's like, I'm Let not doing anything. Gina Davis a big thumbs up. Gina Davis rules. Yes. I've been, big fan. I've been always. on a Davis marathon lately, and she's just great in everything. Love her. Um, so, yeah, the Fly series is uh, four really good movies. Yeah. And then 20 minutes of a, of a movie. That's good. Yeah. That works, yeah, right? So, yeah, put in the fly. If you buy the fly box set, just slap on the last 20 minutes of the fly too. And, like, you are sincerely not missing anything. You're really you not. If you do that. You're really not. Uh, you're missing a lot of boredom if you uh, watch the rest of the movie. Yeah. Hold on. I, I'm sorry. I'm still mad about the fly too. <laughs> Same. You know, you know what gets me about that film, though? So you get the guy get his face ripped off, and that's awesome. You get that guy get his head crushed in the elevator, and that's awesome. It is. The movie introduces two, like, major asshole villains. Yeah. And neither of them get a memorable death the way that two randos do. Exactly. There's the lady who, like, loves jabbing him with needles and hates him. Yeah. And then there's there's a old Scorby Dorp. <laughs> Scorby Dorp. <laughs> Yeah, he gets his back broken kind of off screen and it's like, all right, sure, whatever. Yeah, whatever. She just gets like knocked around or something. I don't even I don't even remember how she died. Yeah. But like, why not use the face rip off and the head crush in the elevator for them? People we hate and want to see die. Yeah, it's pointless. It's Sorry, really that's, stupid. That's my fly too, rant. Uh but yeah. Hey, those movies are fun. They're gross. They're good times. Yeah. Uh this is what this, a great This was a good episode. Matt, I think I, I this, think this is a good series. Yes, I, I think we have watched maybe not more, proportionally more good movies for this episode than we have for any episode since Halloween. I agree. I agree 100%. And yeah, I mean, that's it. That's our that's our fly special, everyone. Because, yeah. you know, flies and we're all stuck in the house like flies. Yeah. <laughs> that's, Keep buzzing about us. Yeah, buzz about us all on social media. Uh, oh, man. I should have said, what's the buzz? Tell me what's happening at the start <laughs> of this episode. Uh, <laughs> Rewind so, yeah. the tape. Before we go, uh, some plugs. Uh, where can I find you on the internet, Jacob? Uh, you can find me at Jacob underscore Denoble on Twitter and Letterboxd. And as for and me. That's all. Yep. And as for me, you can find me at the Real Matt C on basically any social media you want to partake in. Because I'm on them all, and it's all I got going for me these days. It's fun. You can also follow the show at Monsters Diepod uh, over at Twitter. Um, talk to us. We like talking monsters, and sometimes we post on that account, right? Right. Uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, hope everyone has a, a good summer. Uh, we'll be back during the summer for a uh, 
Hey, Jacob, remember how we did the uh, the holiday special of two episodes? No, I don't remember that. No, I totally remember. Okay, that. good that lord. I hope we do. Because, <laughs> listeners, we're going to be doing something very similar. Uh, just when you thought it was safe to go back in the water, which none of you are going to be able to do this summer because the beaches shouldn't be open. Uh, we're going to be talking <laughs> about Jaws. And uh, dun, 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 with a very special guest. So stay tuned. It's going to be fun. Until next time. I'm going to wear my Bride of Frankenstein Speedo, which is a real thing that I designed myself and wear when I go to the pool. <laughs> uh, until next time, stay spooky, ladies and gentlemen. Return to